talked last week about Saul, the first king of Israel's history. And today we're going to turn our attention to David, the second king, and really, I think most would say the greatest king in Israel's history. Talking about the stories that shape God's people. And the neat thing about this is that these are the stories that shaped ancient Israel, and they shape many Jews today as they read these same stories. And Christians now who are grafted in for the last 2,000 years by these same stories of ancient Israel. God calls his people. He calls us. He calls us to faith. He calls us to ministry and mission. And here we see him calling Samuel to obedience. We see him calling David as the next king. And really the truth is he calls all of us. Every believer is called. We're called to a vocation. In fact, that word vocation literally means calling. Uh, We're called to serve in a various job, let's say. We're called to serve in different roles within the family, for example. We're called with different responsibilities and different ministries. God is regularly calling us to serve him. We're called to follow Christ. I'm called to be a husband. I'm called to be a dad. I'm called to be a pastor. And daily, God is calling us to different things. Here, we see the calling of David, which brings out something important for all of us. A story that shapes us, God's calling upon his people. We're going to look at 1 Samuel 16, verses 1 through 13. 1 Samuel 16, verses 1 through 13. It'll be on the screen. The Lord said to Samuel, How long will you grieve over Saul, since I have rejected him from being king over Israel? Fill your horn with oil and go. I will send you to Jesse the Bethlehemite, for I provided for myself a king among his sons. And Samuel said, How can I go? If Saul hears it, he will kill me. And the Lord said, Take a heifer with you and say, I have come to sacrifice to the Lord. And invite Jesse to the sacrifice, and I will show you what you shall do. And you shall anoint for me, him whom I declare to you. Samuel did what the Lord commanded and came to Bethlehem. The elders of the city came to meet him, trembling, and said, Do you come peaceably? And he said, Peaceably. I have come to sacrifice to the Lord. Consecrate yourselves and come with me to the sacrifice. And he consecrated Jesse and his sons and invited them to the sacrifice. When they came, he looked on Eliab and thought, Surely... The Lord's anointed is before me. But the Lord said to Samuel, Do not look on his appearance or on the height of his stature, because I have rejected him. For the Lord sees not as man sees. Man looks on the outward appearance, but the Lord looks on the heart. Then Jesse called Abinadab and made him pass before Samuel. And he said, Neither has the Lord chosen this one. Then Jesse made Shema pass by, and he said, Neither has the Lord chosen this one. And Jesse made seven of his sons pass before Samuel. And Samuel said to Jesse, The Lord has not chosen these. Then Samuel said to Jesse, Are all your sons here? And he said, There remains yet the youngest. And behold, he is keeping the sheep. And Samuel said to Jesse, Send and get him, for he will not sit, we will not sit down till he comes here. And he sent and brought him in. Now he was ruddy and had beautiful eyes and was handsome. And the Lord said, Arise, anoint him, 
for this is he. Then Samuel took the horn of oil and anointed him in the midst of his brothers. And the Spirit of the Lord rushed upon David from that day forward. And Samuel rose up and went to Ramah. This is the word of the Lord. May the Lord add his blessing to the reading and study and proclamation and application of his word this morning. God calls his people. This is where we're going to go for this morning. First, that God calls us to trust him in his leading. We see that with Samuel. God's calling upon Samuel, verses 1 through 5. God calls us to see to the heart, verses 6 through 7, to see to the heart. And then 8 to 13, God calls us to follow his anointed, his anointed. So look at verses 1 through 5. God calls us to trust his leading. He says to Samuel, stop grieving for Saul. Remember, Saul was didn't have a right heart before the Lord. His heart was really to look good in front of Israel and to gain power for himself. He had built a monument to his own glory. And now God says, go and anoint a new king. Now, interestingly enough, by the time that he anoints David to when David actually takes the throne are decades. A long period of time passes, but it's time to actually recognize who the next king is because God has rejected Saul as king. So he says, fill your horn with oil. If you're wondering what this horn is, it's a horn, literally. It's a horn from an animal that's hollowed out that they fill with oil. So olive oil was uh, commonly used for medicinal purposes, for food, but also used as a way of recognizing the Spirit's presence, a way of anointing someone to an office. And he says specifically to go to Jesse in the town of Bethlehem, a small shepherding village just outside of Jerusalem. And one thing that's surprising, maybe here, is to read that Samuel is afraid. He says, if I go, Saul's going to hear about it, and he's going to kill me. Now that seems very different than the Samuel we just saw last chapter. In the last chapter, he's confronting Saul, he's calling Saul to repentance, and, and what's probably happened, a few months, a number of months have passed, and Saul has become more and more aggressive and violent and vicious. In fact, we see that in the people of Bethlehem. They're afraid of the new king. Things have already changed. Saul is already becoming worse and worse and more and more uh, corrupt in his leadership. He's worried that if he hears that Samuel is anointing a new king, if that message gets out there, Saul will surely want Samuel's head for it. So God says, go take a heifer. Heifer is, if you don't know what it is, a young female cow. And if you go to Bethlehem and somebody says, what are you doing here, Samuel? You tell them, I am here to offer a sacrifice to the Lord. We're going to have a big feast and a sacrifice to the Lord. And the warning is right because when he gets there, the elders meet him. uh, And the elders are trembling, which again shows that Saul has become a fearful leader. He takes and takes and takes for himself. And And Samuel says, no, no, I've come peaceably. I'm going to have a sacrifice, but make sure you invite Jesse to that sacrifice because I need to talk to him about something private and personal. Now, before we move on to the application, there may be a question of honesty here. So people have read this and said, did Samuel just lie? (laughs) Right? Did he just lie about why he's going to Bethlehem? Which is not that big of a deal because... The people in the Bible are sinners and they do bad things. But the more serious question is, did God just tell Samuel to lie? Right? So go anoint Jesse and if you're asked, take a heifer and then offer the sacrifice. And of course the answer is no, God did not tell him 
to lie. In fact, if you look carefully, uh, this fits with the biblical ethic of truth and honesty. Samuel spoke truly. He said, I'm going to offer a sacrifice. He brought a sacrifice. He offered the sacrifice. There was nothing dishonest at what he said. Never said anything that was untrue. Wisdom comes then on what needed to be shared. God called him to a private mission. And that private mission was not needed to be shared to the elders. They were not owed that information in any way. So just as an application here, we, we as Christians are called to never lie. Pretty simple. <laughs> never speak something knowingly untrue. And then where you are obligated to speak the truth, you need to tell the truth. So for example, in a court of law, you're put under oath, tell the truth, the whole truth, nothing but the truth. You are responsible in that situation to, you are obligated in that situation to share certain truth. But we do this all the time. We're we're careful about what we share depending on the trustworthiness of the person and in the setting. Somebody says to me, Pastor Rick, how was your day? I don't go and say, well, at 6.01 I woke up. And at 6.02, I mean, I don't go through everything. I pick and choose what I'm going to share. And certainly, if somebody is untrustworthy, let's say someone is a thief and says, by the way, uh, uh, Rick, what is your address and when are you not going to be home? Uh, I'm not going to share with them that information. I'm going to pick and choose what information they have a right to. That's all Samuel is doing in this situation. He is absolutely there for a sacrifice to the Lord as a means of worship. And he's also on a private mission from the Lord that the elders do not have to know about. This wisdom. But notice here that Samuel trusts God in his leading. And this is a dangerous mission. It's still very, very possible that one of the other sons, somebody's hiding in the bushes, one of the other townspeople gets word that a new king is being anointed. And what do you think that would mean for Samuel and also for Jesse and his family? So there's still a great danger in what he's called to, and yet God says, go. This, trust me in this. This is what I'm calling you to do. Follow my leading. Follow God's leading. You know, if, if Samuel is anything else in the Bible, he's obedient to the Lord. That's sort of his, his sort of most glaring characteristic. I like what one commentator says. Samuel, uh, revered and honored as he was, is seen clearly to be the messenger of the Lord, discerning what the Lord was saying and doing accordingly. His greatness lay not in the originality of his ideas or in the initiatives, initiatives he took, but in carrying out the instruction of the Lord. What mattered was his simple obedience. Samuel does what God calls him to do. Um, Friends, we're called to follow God's commands. So if the the Bible is clear about something, follow him. (laughs) If the Bible is not super clear about something, listen to the principles of Scripture and what direction they lead you. And if you're still wondering what God's will is, prayerfully seek the leading of his Holy Spirit. And then just step out in faith and go and trust that the Lord's in control. When the word's not clear, you follow the principles, you trust the Spirit's leading. Do I take this job out here? Do I take this job over here? The Bible's not super clear. I'm going to pray. I'm going to seek God and say, well, I guess this one seems a little bit better. I'm going to trust him and move forward. Trust him even when it's risky. Even when it's dangerous. There's no promise to Samuel that you won't get killed. God doesn't say, 
by the way, Samuel, everything's going to turn out great and you'll be safe. He simply says, I'm calling you to go on a private mission and you're going to follow through with it. It's risky, it's dangerous, and you trust me. Now, following God's command is not always easy. Uh, you know, um, I love the story by Nick, Nick Ripkin. He's a missionary. He describes a, a Russian pastor who was sent to a Siberian prison because of his faith. And his wife and his children followed him there to support him, and they are, are in Siberia starving. On the day they ate their last piece of bread, 18 miles away, God spoke to a church deacon. And he sensed the Spirit telling him, get out of bed, hitch the horse to a sled, and carry food to this starving pastor and his family. And the deacon said, told Nick Ripkin, he argued with God. Uh, it's, It's very cold outside. I could freeze to death. It is too dangerous. There are wolves out there in Siberia. They could eat his horse. They could eat me as well. And he said he argued with God and said, I'll never make it back. And he sensed this is what God told him in response. You don't have to come back. You just have to go. Now, the story continues and he does bring the food to the pastor and does return home safely to his family. But nevertheless, the message was not about whether you come back. The question is about going as God calls us to go. Even when it's risky, even when it's dangerous, as you seek what God is calling you to do, don't always take the road that is the most comfortable and the most safe. But then, of course, he meets with Samuel, I mean, with Jesse and his son, verses, sons, verses 6 through 7. God calls us to see to the heart. Calls us to see to the heart. He gets to the business of this anointing. And as Samuel, uh, Jesse's sons come forward, he, bring, he starts with the oldest. You know, any of you, how many people here are firstborn? All right, so firstborns tend to be a little more type A, a little more aggressive, right? You're the first one to get your license. You're the first one to get out of the house and start a job or join the military or go to college or whatever it is. And you sort of have that, that mentality of, of leadership. And I think they, if you look at a lot of leaders, they tend to be firstborn people. A lot of presidents tend to be firstborn. Um, so, of course, he starts with Eliab. And he is the obvious choice for the next king of Israel. In fact, even Samuel, when he sees Eliab, says what? Surely the Lord's anointed is standing before me. He looks, he's like Saul. Saul was head and shoulders. He he looks the part of a leader, of a warrior, of of a king. And the Lord says to Samuel, don't look on the outward appearance on his height, on his stature. Just like with Saul, the outside appearance can be deceiving. The Lord has rejected him as king. The Lord looks at the heart. Man looks at the outside appearance, but God looks beyond that. And there's an implicit command for us to do the same. That's what we do, isn't it? We tend to judge a book by its cover, as the old cliche says. Uh, We adore celebrity right we like youthfulness and beauty and athleticism and that's nothing new by the way even throughout history uh who were the they had every generation had heroes by the way the athletes who competed in the olympics were the heroes the actors in ancient greece like in the uh, picture 
behind me here. The gladiators who fought and won in the arena. These were the heroes. You know, one of the main subjects that was studied throughout history was rhetoric. We don't, we, nowadays, we don't focus much on rhetoric. Take one public speaking class, right? That's about it. Back in the day, that was everything. The person, because they didn't have TV. So the person who could stand in front of a crowd and speak and mesmerize them with his stories and bring them to tears. And we love the celebrity. He says, but you need to look beyond the outward appearance. Now, it doesn't mean the opposite is true. So he's not saying, so Samuel, you need to find someone who is short, ugly, and weakly. Okay, that's not what he says. Uh, In fact, when we come to David, what do we hear? He's handsome and ruddy and had beautiful eyes. So the point is not find someone the opposite of Saul in terms of looks. It's look beyond the surface. Look deeper. The problem with Saul was a heart issue. His heart was not to serve and know the Lord. His heart was ultimately corrupted by his own pride and his own desire for his own glory. How do we do that? How do we look and see the heart? You can't, you know, you could open someone's chest up and look at their actual heart. That doesn't do anything, right? That's not the point. How do you see the heart? Well, Jesus said, you look to the fruit. You look to their actions. You look to their words, their attitude, their relationships. Are they kind to people? Are they humble? Are they caring and considerate? Friends, I think here our calling... Not only should it be bold and not afraid of danger, it should look to the heart. Certainly, first, be slow to judge others, right? That's, that's, that's part of the calling here, to look beyond skin deep, to observe the heart, a person's character. But I would say also look to your own heart. Be careful that you aren't just about appearance. And I don't just mean what you look like, all that too, but all about reputation. What do people think about you? Be a person of greater depth who considers their own life, considers his or her own faith, your responsibilities before God, considers what he calls us to in his word. Think about your own calling in life. Who is God calling you to be first? And then out of that, what is he calling you to do? In verses 8 to 13, God calls us to follow his anointed. Follow his anointed. Finally, we come to David. We're introduced to David here. Uh, He brings all of his sons, actually, that are there, all seven of them uh, that were present. So all seven, not including David, one by one, from oldest to the youngest, very to the last one. And God tells Samuel, I don't know how he's telling Samuel, is, you know, when Samuel was a young boy, he said he heard an audible voice. Is it just a sense? But he gets the idea, God isn't choosing any of these sons. <laughs> and he doesn't even know about an eighth kid. He says, is, is this everyone? Uh, and he could have started to doubt. Well, maybe I just didn't get this right because God is clearly not asking any of these to be the next king. And Jesse says, well, there is the runt. <laughs> there is the youngest. Um, we, he didn't even come to the feast because we needed someone to take care of the sheep. So we, we're all feasting, we're all, you know, Samuel's coming to town, it's a big deal, we're going to bring and sacrifice the heifer and have a big feast and so forth. Um, David, you've got to stay back and take care of the sheep, all right? That's your job here. He gets left out, and Samuel knows at that point, he says, get him, and we will not sit down until he comes. 
that's a sign of utmost respect, right? When a king is in the room, you stand. When a, when a judge walks into a courtroom, what does everybody do? I'll rise for the, for the honorable so-and-so. Everybody stands up. We're not even going to sit until he arise, arrives. And again, he's described as a young, ruddy, handsome, beautiful-eyed kid um, here. The youngest one, unexpected. And it says, the Lord tells Samuel, this is the one. And at that moment, after he anoints him, the Spirit of God comes upon him. We see here is again, we see this throughout the Bible, by the way, God chooses the unlikely. <laughs> he chooses the unlikely. Um, I want to know where the heart of God is. I think you can see this throughout all the pages of the Bible. His heart is with the humble. You want to get close to the heart of God? Be humble. You know, tradition was you would choose the oldest as the, the heir and the strongest. Right from the very beginning, it's not Cain, but Abel. And after Abel is killed, it's Seth. It's not Esau, it's Jacob. It's not Manasseh, who's slightly older than his brother, Ephraim. It's Ephraim who becomes the great nation. It's, it's not that being younger is better. It's that God sees the heart. Right to the New Testament, when God calls a Jewish carpenter from the no-name city of Nazareth with no formal education and no title. The eternal son, the Lord Jesus. Let me say this, friends, when you think of your calling, if you think that you are not smart enough to be used by God, that you don't have enough formal education, you're not healthy enough, you don't look the part, perfect. You're, the, you're exactly the type of person God likes to use. Okay? You're, sign up, because that's the kind of person God tends to use. But friends, we follow the Lord's anointed. All along, God's plan was to bring David as the greatest king of Israel's history. And of course, the son of David leads to Jesus. You say, well, I thought, Pastor Rick, the reason why they had a king is because they disobeyed the Lord. And that God was their king and they weren't really supposed to choose a king. Yep. And God knew their disobedience was going to come. That they would raise up, they would ask for a king. That the first king would be Saul. A king like the nations. They would learn somewhat of their lesson and then he would raise up a man after his own heart. God knew all of that all along and his plan was to bring a king. Saul would prepare the way as an example of a worldly king who failed and then God raises up a better king. And the line straight through from David to Joseph, whose wife gave birth to the anointed one in Bethlehem. And friends, even today, we follow the Lord's anointed as Christians. Uh, you know the Hebrew word for anointed is Mashiach, which we get Messiah, and the Latin term Christos, from which we get the name Christ. Samuel literally anoints David and the Spirit prepares him. And it's God's calling for his people to follow the king, the anointed one, Jesus. God calls his people. Friends, we're called to follow his leading and to trust him. 
even when that leading is dangerous, even when it's not comfortable, even when there are great risks involved. God calls us to look to the heart, to look beyond the surface level, to look to someone's character, to look to our own character, our own obedience to the Lord. And God calls us to follow his anointed king. Christians tend to struggle with this question. What is God calling me to do? We've got some new graduates and turning to a new stage of life. We tend to struggle with that calling. And, and it's hard because life is choices, right? The choices, you look back at your life and the choices that you make end up shaping who you are. And many, many of us would want to say, if I could go back, I would choose something different here and there. And it's a big deal, the choices we make. But if you're a Christian, I would say, if you follow this guide, you'll be all right. Okay? If you follow him no matter what and you trust him, you look to the heart and you follow his anointed Jesus, it'll turn out all right. If that leads us deep into the heart of the mission field, if that leads us just to be a faithful husband and father, if that leads us to a various vocation, we do it for his glory. Pray with me. Gracious Father, we thank you so much that you care about each of us individually. You love and are concerned for each of us enough that you would call us. First, Lord, you would call us to faith in your Son. But then, Lord, within that calling, you would call us to serve you to serve you in all of the network of relationships you give us in life, husbands, wives, fathers, daughters, mothers. And then you call us to a vocation, to a specific role in society, whether that is staying home and taking care of the family or whether that is outside the home into a particular profession. And you call us to regular ministry, being led by you. We fail, we sin, we mess it up, We repent, we get back up, and we seek to continue to follow you. Help us, Lord, as we continue to trust you, no matter what, into danger or into discomfort or risk, as we look to the heart and as we trust your anointed one, the Lord Jesus, in whose name we pray. Amen.